And haven't you found it to be so what the bishop said? Sometimes I pray and I don't ask God for a thing. I just celebrate what he's already done. If God never did another thing for us, we could fill the rest of our days thanking him for all that he's done. In fact, in what sounds like a sick approach to taxes in April, I told the saints at Crossroads that I was celebrating tax time. <laughs> and I owe taxes. I don't get a refund. I owe taxes. And I said to them, the only way you could possibly pay income tax is that you had an income. Hallelujah. So tax time is actually a celebration time for me. I remember a day when I didn't have income. I was 12 at the time, but I mean, <laughs> still. But it's, it's a privilege to pay taxes because the only way you could pay taxes is that you had an income. He's done so much for me, provided an income for me. Hallelujah. We thank you, great God, that you are ever with us and ever for us. Thank you for way, the way you have touched our bodies. Thank you for filling us with your spirit. Thank you for sending us Jesus. Thank you for giving us a reason to put our feet on the floor in the morning. Thank you that we have a sense of mission and purpose. We thank you for our health. We thank you for each other, for the body of Christ. We thank you that we have access to your word. We thank you that we're literate, that we can read your word, that we can think. Thank you that we can enjoy music. Thank you for the gifts and skills you've given to the body of Christ, for composers and arrangers, for technical people who make all that we enjoy possible. We give you praise. Thank you for cars. Thank you for gas that we have to put in our cars. Thank you that we have food in our freezers and pantries and refrigerators. Thank you for our children and our grandchildren. Thank you for our friends. Thank you for good food to eat. Thank you for appetites. Thank you that we're not being fed through a feeding tube tonight. We give you praise. You've done so much for us. We, we can't tell it all. Thank you for taking our sin away. And giving us a hope. And giving to us forgiveness in and through Jesus the Christ. Now open to us, we pray, this glorious word, and may we who hear it and we who proclaim it be profoundly changed by it. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And God's people sang, Amen, oh, Amen, Amen. Amen. God has spoken. We now receive it. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Uzziah reigned in Judah for 52 years. Then, like every one of us in this room shall do, he died. 
my late friend Gardner Taylor said, we should not fear death. It's the way we get out of here. Uzziah died. And this well-known chapter contains the narrative of Isaiah's call in that same year. The passage begins, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Some scholars have wondered whether this is an actual event or a vision that Isaiah had. I don't know and I don't care. Whether it was something that happened in his spirit, whether he was like John, transported, and in the spirit he saw this, or whether this was something that actually happened doesn't matter to me. In fact, to concentrate on the nature of this revelation is to miss the splendor and the majesty of the revelation. I'm more interested in what happened, whether it happened actually or spiritually. The important thing is that it happened. The whole scene makes me think of Joachim Neander's classic hymn text. I'll start reading it. You'll probably start singing it in your head, some of you who were raised on hymns. But I, I think of this hymn when I read this text. Praise to the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. You remember the text? All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Sing now in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord who are all things so wondrously reigneth. Who as on wings of an eagle uplifteth, sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how thy desires all have been granted in what he ordaineth? Praise to the Lord who hath fearfully wondrously made thee. Health hath vouchsafed, and when heedlessly failing, hath stayed thee. What need of grief ever hath failed of relief? Wings of his mercy did shade thee. That's not a well-known stanza of the hymn. Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Who from the heavens the streams of his mercy doth send thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Who with his love doth befriend thee. The last stanza, praise to the Lord. Let all that is in me adore him. All that hath life and breath come now with praises before him. Let the amen Sound from his people again, gladly for a, we adore him. You remember it? Every time I read this text, I think of that hymn. This is a majestic setting. And we who hunger for holiness uh, might well see ourselves in this text. I, I want to give you a way of relating to this text. When I am working on a sermon, and I've been preaching for a half century now, when I'm working on a text, one of the first things I do in my study is I try to enter into the text. 
I try to imagine I'm there in the text. And as we examine holiness, I, I want to see if we can get inside the text. I want us first to see what Isaiah saw. He sees God, says the first four verses, as perhaps he has never seen him before. He sees him high and lifted up, majesty enthroned. Praise of the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation. That's how he sees him. He sees him not on his own level. We have probably gone overboard with this whole idea of being a friend of Jesus. Some people in their efforts to be Jesus' friend have yanked him down from his throne and made him their peer. Now, he might be your friend, but he's not your peer. He's high and lifted up, and you are not. And that's important to remember. God is not like us. God is not on our level. God is not one who faces the same limitations we face. When Isaiah sees God, the first thing he notes is that God is on a different level than Isaiah is. He sees him high and lifted up. Had I been stronger in art, my wife will tell you I am I'm reduced to stick figures. I cannot draw at all. But had I been stronger in art, I might have dabbled in architecture. I'm fascinated by how one can make statements through architecture. If you go into a proper Gothic cathedral, and there are Gothic cathedrals in many of our cities in the U.S., in many European cities, in New York City, the city of my birth, the city of my growing up, uh, one of the great examples of, of Gothic architecture, well, there are two, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City on Fifth Avenue, and not far from there on 50, maybe 53rd and 5th is St. Thomas church, which is an, uh, an Episcopal church. And when you go in a proper Gothic cathedral, no one has to tell you this, you automatically look up. The lines of the building point you up. It is deliberately not a gymnatorium. It is not a square box with a cross in the front and, and instruments. It, it's, it's not that. It's not a place with a stage and lights it's, it's an architectural statement that what we've come to do here demands that we look up. The lines point you up. You, you can't help it. You go into a cathedral, you will look up. I guarantee you. you, if, you if you don't, well, you're dead. You're, you're dead inside. The architecture is designed to point you to the throne. This is Isaiah. And if we're going to hunger for holiness, and we're going to take our God seriously and his call on us seriously, 
we must see what Isaiah saw. And he saw God as he'd not seen him before. The eternal would have you look up and be reminded that although Jesus says, I call you my friends, I no longer call you slaves. Slaves don't know what their master is doing. This is John 15. I call you my friends. While that is true, and while we do sing, I am a friend of God, and what a friend we have in Jesus. All this is true. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. This is all true. But he's not so much our friend that he is our peer. He is ever high and lifted up. And we must always see him that way. We must see what Isaiah saw. But secondly, I want to suggest that if we're going to take hunger, hunger for holiness seriously, we must say what Isaiah said. When I was in my study preparing this text, I was trying to see what Isaiah saw, and then I was trying to fix my mouth to say what Isaiah said. But what he says is not something we in our culture today think we need to say. Woe is me, I am unclean, and so are my people. Now, Isaiah is always seeing himself as part of the faith community. So he wants to talk about what's happening in him and what's happening in his people. Because remember, as we hunger for holiness, we, we work that out in the context of our people. We don't do this alone. Verse 5, woe is me. Then I said, so I said, woe is me. I'm unclean. Warren Wiersbe, that great Bible expositor, said, before he announced woes on others, he first confessed his own sin and said, woe is me. He saw the Holy One of Israel and he could not keep silent. Then Wiersbe says, and, and Wiersbe loves to put things so you, you'll never forget them. He says, a great king, Uzziah, may have left his throne on earth, but the greatest king was still seated on his throne in heaven. <laughs> but before Isaiah could pronounce woe on everybody else, on all y'all, some people think Romans 3.23 says, y'all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it doesn't say that. It's all have sinned. Before Isaiah pronounces woe on his people, he pronounces woe on himself and makes a confession. Donald J. Trump in an interview in January of 2016 said, I have a great relationship with God. I have great relationship with the evangelicals. I like to be good. I don't like to have, to have to ask for forgiveness, and I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try to do nothing that is bad, end of quote. Well, that sounds good, but the truth is we all have sinned. And every person, I don't care how good you think you are, every person has to come to the place where they not only see what Isaiah saw, but they say what Isaiah said. Woe is me. And we're, in our culture, we're, we're just not, we're not ready to say that. We're not ready to confess that we're, we're bad. Because we, we think we're pretty good. I'm not as bad as the other guy. Well, the other guy is not your standard. The holy God is. 
And when I'm in the face of this holy God, the only proper thing I can say is, woe is me. I can't convince God that I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm not. I want to get to the point where I am willing to admit my state of woe. Musician that I am, I'm always interested in new hymnals. A friend of mine gave me a newly published hymnal uh, recently. I've seen some disturbing textual revision in hymns. And some of it is designed to make us not feel so bad about ourselves. I was teethed on the old hymn, At the Cross. You remember that, that old hymn? In fact, some of you who were raised on hymns will remember this. Let's recite the first stanza, shall we? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a as I? Yes, a new version of that. I've seen this in newer hymnals. Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Or for such a one as I? You're a worm. That's just what I am, a worm. A scoundrel before God. Disobedient, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, rebellious. Don't soften it for me. Don't soften it for the American audience who doesn't want to describe themselves as a worm. Well, that's what we are. I, I, I need that language to stay in there. I need the classic language because I need to say what Isaiah said. We're so busy telling people, you know, you need to feel good about yourself. You need to, you need to like, affirm yourself. Like, if you don't, like, love yourself, how can you, like, love other people? So you have to, like, love yourself and, like, stop, like, saying, like, negative things like you're a worm. Because, like, you need to, like, think, like, positively. You're a worm. Yeah, I said, I'll say it again. You're a worm. I want to see what Isaiah saw, God high and lifted up, and I want to say what Isaiah said. Woe is me. I am unclean. I, I am not all done. And the people I'm working this out with are also flawed. I dwell in the midst of a community of faith that is together with me working this out and hungering for holiness. Third, we who hunger for holiness must try to hear what Isaiah heard. He sees God high and lifted up. He says something of himself. He makes a prayer of confession. Woe is me. Makes a confessional statement. But then, and don't, don't miss this. This is, this. this is a skill that one learns as one walks with God. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord, Lord, says the first clause of verse 8. Now, the reason this is so important is, is because it is possible to go through your whole life and never hear the voice of God. And I don't mean audibly. I mean we can become so dull 
we can become so overwhelmed by the sounds of our culture that we hear everybody else, but we lose the ability to hear God. I do not take lightly the first clause of the eighth verse. The life of holiness is that life in which we both see God, verse 1, and hear God. This is a developed skill. This is a learned skill. Maybe we don't spend enough time in silence so we can hear God. Maybe we have drowned out the voice of God by the other stuff we've got going. I drove up to this area from Atlanta, Georgia. I drove first from Atlanta to Cassville, Wisconsin, and then drove from Cassville, Wisconsin to here a couple of days ago. Spent hours in the car alone. And a friend of mine asked me, what do you do on long drives? And I do a number of things. I I have the radio going. Sometimes I make a number of phone calls and check up with people. But I always have a time of silence. No radio, just thinking. Because if you're not careful, you'll avoid silence. Just always have some noise. But if you always have some noise, how are you going to hear God? How, how are you going to hear? And I heard the voice of the Lord, says Isaiah. I'm especially uh, careful about this because preachers like to talk. But we have little to say if we don't first hear. I must hear from the Lord before I can with authority speak for the Lord. Someone has said, the reason we have two ears and one mouth is that we might listen twice as much as we speak. I'm not sure we do that well. I'm not sure we hear well. My mother, and maybe your mother did as well. I think there's just a school for mothers. They all seem to say the same thing. They all go to this one school, the mothering school. I don't know. But if, I, if my mother said something to me and I did not immediately comply, she said, did you hear me? And my mother was, during her days, she's, she's 88 years old now and she's mellowed. But at her height, she, she had a not soft voice. Did you hear me? And I thought, I never said this out loud, but I thought, they can hear you in Guam. What do you mean? What do you mean, can, did you hear me? Yes, everybody heard you. Did you hear me? What she means is, how come your behavior isn't different? If you heard me, you'd be conducting yourself differently. I, I wonder if God is saying the same thing to us. Did you hear me? Did you hear the voice of the Lord? If you did, why are you still doing that? Why are you still living like that? Did you hear me? Verse 8, first clause, and I heard the voice of the Lord. I saw something, I said something, and I heard something. I'm, I'm still trying to hear from God. Still trying to hear from God. I, I, I don't want to sound like I, I haven't been with God. I ask people to pray for my preaching, that it might be fresh, that it might be anointed, that 
that it might reflect the, the, the idea that I have actually been with God. I, I, want, I want to see what Isaiah saw, and I, I want to make the same confession that Isaiah made, and I want to hear the voice of God. I want it obvious that God has spoken to me. Finally, let me suggest that those of us who hunger for holiness must not only see what Isaiah saw, say what Isaiah said, and hear what Isaiah heard, but we must do what Isaiah did. What did he do? He gave himself to God in surrender and in ministry. He he gave himself to God. He, he put himself in the position whereby he was all in. Have you been there? Some of you are not there. Some of you are. But there are some people who live their entire lives on the edges of a real experience. They, they don't want to get too close. They don't want to get you know, all in there. I know musicians like that. They are piano players, but they're not pianists. They just play the notes, but they don't think about what they're playing. They're not musicians. I told uh, a few parents when I was teaching uh, private lessons, I had some young students, and I said, I'm not interested in teaching your child to be a piano player, but I'd be very interested in helping develop a musician and teaching them to play from the inside out. Not just playing a C. We could teach a chimp to play a C. Here's middle C. But can you, can you enter in and begin to experience the music? Well, this is precisely what is available to Isaiah. I saw all this. I heard all this. And it moved me to get inside. And so when God said to Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will represent us? Perhaps the Trinity is talking. Who will, who will enter in and be my ambassador? And Isaiah said, that's an interesting concept and I'll certainly be rooting for you and be watching how that goes. No, Isaiah said, I'm in. The people who are serious about holiness are not watching it develop in other people from the stands as if holiness is some spectator sport. They are doing what Isaiah did. They are saying, I I'm in, here am I. I, I'd, I'd like to be involved. You, you're sending people? You're commissioning people? Oh, choose me, me, me. I, I want to be, I want to be all in. The prophet who has just heard and seen God is commissioned to tell people not to hear that they might truly hear. You read the rest of this chapter. And Isaiah is called to encourage people to be dull so that they might become spiritually alive. You read it in verses 9 and 10. I won't read it now.
I'm not sure I would have easily accepted this commission, but I, but I want to. This commission is to go and proclaim the God who doth speak. The God who shows himself. The God who would be revealed, who would be out there for everybody to see high and lifted up. I want to do what Isaiah did. I want to get all in. I want to close by telling you about my brother. I had an older brother, now deceased. He said that he had accepted Jesus as his Savior, but I saw not one speck of evidence of that. Not, not one speck. He spent his entire life, pretty much, watching some of us do what we did, including follow Jesus. He married a lovely Christian young woman who died at age 36 of cancer. She was an ardent follower of Jesus. He watched her. He was left with three young daughters upon his wife's death. He didn't aggressively see to it that they were in a setting in which they could grow spiritually. As he continued to live his life, he never exhibited, to my knowledge, the, the kindness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But he knew church. We were raised in the church. When he graduated from high school, he pretty much graduated from God, graduated from church. Always on the edge, never fully entering in. It, it made me so sad. Is that you? Are you like my brother? You know Christians. You are a Christian. But you never raised your hand and said to God, I'm, I'm all in. You never accepted the invitation or the commission. It's possible to live on the edge and never get inside. But being inside is your privilege. <laughs> Peter T. Forsyth, P.T. Forsyth, said, and with this I close, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Who is your master? From whom do you take your marching orders? We have seen God. We have made our confession. We have heard the voice of God. Now may we find him and name him as our master and be all in and do what he said. God being our help. 
Those of us who are in pursuit of holiness are not looking for our freedom. We're looking up to our God as our master. Let us pray. We thank you, kind God, for reminding us of what is at stake. We pray for ourselves and for our colleagues. And thank you for the people among whom we dwell for each other here, for our communities of faith back at home, for our families, both church and nuclear, biological, work families, our neighborhoods, the fraternities and organizations of which we are a part. We thank you for the corporate entities which remind us that we are not alone. And we pray that if we are lingering on the peripheral part of life, you would help us to be all in. Take away our fear, we pray. There's something stopping us from being fully engaged. I pray against the evil one who would love to see us stay in a safe, non-engaged place and in a non-involved posture. We rebuke him tonight in the name of Jesus. Pray that as you draw us in by your Spirit's tether, you would find not one bit of rebellion in us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now it is my custom to give a benediction at the end of every service at the Crossroads Church. In fact, sometimes the benediction is the highlight of our worship experience I always give the benediction with eyes open and I walk down the center aisle and give it and look into the eyes of the faithful, sometimes touching them on the shoulders as I walk out and give them a blessing. The word benediction is a word that means literally good sayings, benedictus. And in the early church, there's evidence in historical documents that the benediction is always given with eyes open. It is not a closing prayer, it's a closing blessing. And in the early church, the pastor would very often give the benediction with both his hands raised as a way of symbolically touching each person on his or her head and knowing he couldn't touch each person, he'd just do this. Would you please look up at me and receive the blessing? And now, beloved... May you see what Isaiah saw. Look up. May you hear what Isaiah heard. May you say what Isaiah said. And may you respond to the God who calls you even now. The Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord bless your going out and your going in, your down sitting and your uprising. The Lord meet you in your leisure and in your work. May the Lord set his light upon you and replace your darkness with his light and your mourning with his joy. May you not be the same because you've been here. 
May he enable you to be the person you've longed to be. The Lord keep you, for you surely cannot keep yourselves. Now, what you know not, may he teach you. And what you have not, may he give you. And what you are not, may he make you. All for his glory. Amen.